text of scripture, help us to be aware of what it means, what's in the text, and then what it means, and how to apply it to our life. We don't want us to gather facts. We want our lives to be changed. We want to look out at this world and realize there are men and women, boys and girls, that are without Christ, and when they die, they will perish forever. Forever. We are moved by that. Our heart is broken, and Father, we need more tears for the lost. We realize that Satan is the God of this age, and he has blinded the mind and the eyes of people of this age. But the gospel of Jesus is what liberates them. It's what sets them free. It is the truth that sets them free from the bondage of sin and the ultimate punishment of death, separation from you for all eternity. So help us to realize there is this battle going on in the heavenlies between Satan and his demonic angels and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his holy angels. And we are caught in the middle. And Satan has many of the human race on his side. But we stand for the Lord. We are his children, purchased and bought and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we want to stand up against the stink and the stench and the corruption of this world. We want to stand for truth and for our Savior and let it be known where we stand. So, Father, give us boldness to proclaim this message of Christ, his death and resurrection for our sins to all the world. Strengthen us through the scriptures tonight, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 10 as now we turn our attention to this brief interlude before we get the last woe, the seventh trumpet. We're introduced to a mighty angel. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, And I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Okay. Let's talk about this mighty angel that John sees. Many people believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ because of the description of being clothed with the cloud and a rainbow on his head, his face like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. I don't believe that this is Jesus. I believe this is another strong angel. Let me give you a few reasons why. First of all, in verse 1, John says, I saw still another mighty angel. This word in the Greek, another, it's alas, and it means another of the same kind. This angel is another of the exact same kind as the other strong angels in the book of Revelation. So John would have used heteros for another if this angel was different than the other kinds of angels already spoken about. So for that very fact, I think this angel is simply another strong angel of God, delivering his message to the world. Not only that, but every time Jesus is referenced in the book of Revelation, he is unmistakably given a phenomenal title. King of kings, Lord of lords. I mean, he is so clearly identified as the Savior. There's another reason why I don't think it's Jesus. This angel's coming from heaven to earth, and if it's Jesus, he came at his first coming in Bethlehem, This would be a second one, and then his third one would be, uh, you know what I'm saying? We're just adding another coming to 
all of, all of those events. I have no problem seeing this angel as simply another strong, mighty angel that God sends out to do his bidding. Isn't it amazing that God has a heavenly host where he can simply command and they are obedient to his command and they'll, they'll run and do whatever errand he sends them on? Isn't it amazing? The holy angels are so obedient. He can say to this mighty angel, I want you to go down and I want you to put one foot in the sea and one foot on land and I want you to hold this open scroll and then John will be there. I mean... Yes, my Lord. Yes, my commander. Can you imagine? What does he want from the human race? He simply wants us to love him and obey him, right? And yet even us in the church age, we tend to not like obedience. We tend not to like to go all the way for the Lord. We'll give him a little bit, but not all the way. Oh, I just think it's so neat that God has all these ministering servants called angels to go and do his bidding. I want to be like that. I want to be eager like Isaiah. Hear my Lord. Send me. Do whatever you want with me. Call me anywhere. Have me say and declare your message to anyone. I just want to do. I'll, I'll, I'll obey. I'll follow you. So John says he sees another mighty angel. Look at how he's described. Coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. That's got to be pretty glorious. Coming down from heaven, and you can picture this creature, this angelic creature coming down, and literally the clouds of the atmosphere wrap around him. And then it says there's a rainbow on his head. Where's the first reference we find a rainbow? Way back in Genesis chapter 9 with the flood. After the, the, the judgment of the flood, let's talk about that for a moment because it's going to come up again. Listen, God wanted, he knew, he knew he had to destroy the human race. They had been infiltrated by this demonic line. These demonic angels have infiltrated the human race, corrupting the possibility that Jesus could come from the race of mankind, which would end our salvation. Praise the Lord, Noah was preserved blameless in his generations. So God knew that, and plus the intent and the thought of man's heart was evil continually. God said, 120 years, and I will strive no longer with man. The flood will come. And so, of course, Noah was set out to build the ark. And all who would believe would enter the ark. We know how many entered. Noah, his wife, three sons and three wives. And then the animals. That's it. Off this huge populated earth, eight humans entered the ark by faith. What happened to the rest of those? They perished under the flood. The flood sent by the Lord was judgment against sinful mankind. And it's going to be the same in the day of tribulation. The flood of God's wrath will come upon this planet, and only those who believe will be safe in the ark. But at the end of the flood, as the flood waters have receded and Noah comes out, there's a rainbow in the sky where God is saying, the judgment is past, and you are safe. You've made it through the floodwaters. So, I think this angel having this rainbow around his head, it's declaring the judgment is, is coming, the judgment is you're in the midst of it, but don't worry, you will come out on the other end. God's covenant will not be broken. It's a covenant promise. Listen to this. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Blazing glory of God as his feet plop, one in the sea and one on land. This Sounds like quite an image of an angel, doesn't it? Listen, everybody. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. As Paul breaks into a, a word of praise about our God, he says, our God dwells in unapproachable light. If this creature is so dazzling in light and glory, can you imagine 
the very glory of our God? It's, he's, he dwells in unapproachable light. We cannot approach him or we would be consumed by his holiness. We have our mediator, Jesus Christ, whom we will see and walk with and talk with for all eternity. Incredible. So John sees this creature, this angelic being, his face like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And then it says he had a little book open in his hand. Now, we don't know what this book is, but it is the word biblioridon, which is very similar to biblion, which is used for the scroll in Revelation 5. You know that Jesus has a scroll in his hand, the title deed to the earth. This is a little scroll. Now, we don't know what it is, Nobody knows for sure, but it is open. The seals are already broken, which makes me think it's similar or maybe the same thing as the scroll in Revelation 5. It's already open. It doesn't have to be opened. Jesus has already opened the Biblion, and now it's little, I think, in the, just because John, uh, John's going to eat it. And that's going to be an interesting thing in a minute, but he's going to eat it. And so the Lord has got it reduced in size. And, and it's, but we know this. From the end of the text, we'll know that what's on this scroll that John eats are words of prophecy. I think maybe, again, it could be exactly what was written in Revelation chapter 5. The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. Well, listen. He has this little book open in his hand. And the angel, he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. I think, to make a declaration, that God is in control over all the earth. God owns all the seas. He owns all the land. It is his. You put your foot on your property, it belongs to you. It's the idea, right? Remember Abraham in the book of Genesis? God said, wherever you walk, I'll give you that land. Walk around, Abraham, wherever you walk. Wherever you set your foot, I'm giving you. And so the idea, I think, is God owns all the earth, the seas, the land, and it's all under his control. Now, in light of judgment, I found six items here about God's judgment that I want to share with you. First of all, God's judgment is universal. It covers all the seas and all the land. When God comes to judge this earth, it is a universal judgment. It includes all of the lost people. It includes every nation, every tribe, everybody on the seas, everybody on land. It is universal. This angel cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, there were seven thunders uttering their voices. So that made me think, and you may have a cross-reference in your Bibles. Do you know what this makes me think of? Listen, everybody. Do you know Psalm 29? It is phenomenal. Let me tell you what Psalm 29 is about, and then we'll look at it, because there's some interesting phrases in Psalm 29. Picture Psalm 29. Go back with me to King David in 1000 BC. You're with King David. You're in his palace in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is at the top of the, of the mountain, and you would be able to look out, and you could look over on a clear day, way over the Shephelah Plain and all of that, and you'd see the Mediterranean waters. All right, so you're up in the, in, in the palace, standing next to King David. And David is thinking about God and how God is going to judge the sinner. And the, the best thing that David can equate God's judgment with is a gigantic thunderstorm. Now, back in July, we had a big thunderstorm. How long did it last? 15 minutes, maybe? The, the, the straight winds that knocked down tree after tree? I think it lasted only 15 minutes, it's 3 o'clock or something in the morning. We were awake. We heard the winds. And then we heard the noise, and then it, 
within a matter of a short few minutes, it was gone. So picture this. We're up on the top of David's palace, and he's looking out, and he's showing you, and he says, God's judgment is like a gigantic thunderstorm. Right now, look at the dark clouds over the Mediterranean Sea. So picture, rolling clouds, black clouds, all billowing up over the Mediterranean Sea. And then the storm comes across the Mediterranean Sea, and it goes to the northern area, which is Lebanon. It is today even. And as the storm hits land, notice, it starts in the sea and goes to the land. The angel has a foot in the sea, a foot in the land. As the storm hits the cedars of Lebanon, the cedars begin to splinter and fall over because of the heavy winds. This thunderstorm is traumatic. The, the trees are falling, branches are breaking, tops are coming off, trees are being uprooted, and then the lightning comes down, and cracks of lightning. Now, in Psalm 29, you get seven voices of God, which kind of, to me, pictures seven voices uttered here. Seven thunderings, seven voices, it all ties together. Well, then the storm comes from Lebanon, it goes south. It kind of turns, and it goes down across Israel, over your heads, and it goes down into the desert region. And it makes the deer give birth, and it shakes the land with great thunderings. Can you picture that? And then David says, wow, that storm that just passed through, it's like God's judgment coming on the earth. So take a look at Psalm 29. Go back to Psalm 29 with me. I think this is a picture of what God is going to do to this planet as he comes with judgment like a thunderstorm. Psalm 29, God says this, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the powerful I am. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Here it is, seven voices. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Picture the clouds over the Mediterranean. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. See, now it's hit land and the cedars are breaking, these tall, tall trees. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. You know how a calf skips? Just jumps up, jumps up, jumps up. I think the trees, as the storm comes, are cracking, flying, moving, coming over one another making a huge mess. Lebanon and Syrian, that's Hermon, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. That's the lightnings in the storm. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. because It's moved down now past Jerusalem, down into the desert. It shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, strips the forest bare, and in his temple, everyone says what? Glory. We are amazed at his power. I mean, that is the place we see the greatest power, isn't it? In a thunderstorm, in a whirlwind. Even Job. In, remember Job chapter 38? After all of his questioning God and his, his own righteousness, finally God appears to Job in a whirlwind. He says, Job, you don't know who I am. How dare you question me? I am God and you are not. So what are you doing? So this whirlwind, I think, just shows God's power and his judgment. All right, let's go back to Revelation. So God's judgment, it's on the whole earth. Sea and land. God owns it all, so he's going to judge it all. Look at verse 3. When he cried out, there were seven thunders uttering their voices. You know what this tells me? God's judgment is irresistible. 
Much like the storm in July that came across our region, it was irresistible. You couldn't go up and try to hold the trees. You couldn't try to stop the judgment. Nobody can stop God. When, the, when those trumpets blow and those demons are unleashed, nobody can stop God. It's his will being accomplished on this earth. We have to simply submit to it. Do you agree? God's judgment is universal. It is irresistible. Look at verse 4. Now when the seven thunders uttered the voices, I was about to write. You see, that's what John was told to do in chapter 1. Write the things that you see and hear. So he was beginning to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered. Do not write them. (laughs) Wait a minute. John saw and heard something that he couldn't write. Which means... Although we have the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, there are things that are going to happen that we don't even know yet. There's going to be some surprises in these days that aren't recorded for us. Who knows what kind of judgments that were uttered that, w- that are going to befall this planet that God just chose not to tell us everything. It shows who has the power, right? God knows everything, we don't. And he's pointing out, listen everybody, you don't know everything going to happen in the future. So I would say this, God's judgment, it's mysterious. It's, it's irresistible, it's universal, and it's, it's mysterious. We, just, we don't know everything, and we're not going to know everything. Verse 5, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. This angel takes an oath. Maybe the, the, scroll, the open scroll is in his left hand. He raises his right hand to the heavens, much like we saw Donald Trump as he was sworn in to be president and uh, Vice President Pence, they swore an oath that they would uphold the Constitution, right? Here, this angel is, up, is, is making an oath saying, Lord, here's what I'm saying, and here's what you're going to do. You want to you know what it tells me about judgment? This judgment is certain. It is guaranteed to happen. When the angel swears an oath, whatever he says, it is a guarantee. Nobody's going to stop it. Nobody's going to question it. It is simply going to happen. It is certain, and it is perfect, because who's he swearing an oath to? The Creator of all things, the land and the sea and everything on them, and the one who lives forever, the eternal creator that can do everything, is going to have his way with this planet. So whether we like it or not, let his will be done. By the way, you know everybody prays the Lord's Prayer, which I would call the Disciples' Prayer of Luke 11. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, all of that, right? But when they say this phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next phrase? Thy kingdom come. When everybody across America and across this globe, when they say that petition, they're saying, God, we want your kingdom to come to earth. This is what it entails. It entails the most severe judgments on this planet as he shakes it and destroys it. That's how his kingdom comes. So anytime you're praying that prayer, if you're praying it at church or at a funeral or something, and you pr- make sure when you're praying, thy kingdom come, you're thinking, you know what you're really asking for. You're asking for God to come like a thunderstorm, irresistible, universal, certain judgment that he is going to shake this planet and destroy it and leave it bare. 
That's quite a task. That's quite a thing that you're praying. I don't think most people know what they're praying when they say, Lord, let thy kingdom come. All right, here. It's a certain and a perfect judgment. The last phrase of verse 6, the things that are in it, um, he's swearing an oath that there should be what? Delay it no longer. Now this is an important thing. This is an important aspect of the judgment. At this point in history, judgment is immediate. There'll be no more delay. So there's going to be an immediate judgment. Right now, we're living in the delay. It hasn't happened yet, but it is going to. At this point in history, there is no more delay. The bowls, the seventh trumpet's going to blow, and then seven angels will come out with bowls, and the bowls will be dumped out, and as fast as they're dumped... The judgment hits the earth and catastrophe after catastrophe. And I think it's seven angels in a row. One, boom. Second angel, boom. Third angel, boom. And the earth is just going to be pummeled. And here's what I think happens. The seals are slow, like this. And they're not too intense. Now the trumpets, more intense, quicker together. The three and a half years are past. Four years, five years, six years. On the seven, at the end of the seventh year, Jesus comes. And right towards the end of the seventh year, then there's the last trumpet, and then the, the bowls. Boom, 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 boom. And then Jesus comes back to earth. Immediate, certain, fearful judgment coming on this planet. And the angel takes an oath and says, Lord, eternal creator, the one who made heaven and earth and all the things in it, let there be delay no longer. And because of the oath, there's no more delay. Let me ask you, why is God waiting? Why is he delaying right now? There's a reason. Second Peter 3.9 God is not willing that any should perish. The only reason he has not yet come back, the only reason, it's not that he hasn't finished our houses in heaven, and it's not that he's got other things he's dealing with. The only reason Jesus is not back on this earth is he does not want anybody to perish, but he wants all to come to eternal life. God loves the world so much, he doesn't want anybody in our community to go to hell. If we sit here and don't tell them, what's wrong with that? We're not accomplishing his will. His will is that they be saved. They cannot be saved without a speaker, and you and I are the speakers. So until we get out there, the, nothing, there's just, we're sitting in the delay. I mean, don't you want to go and reach the whole world and then he'll come back and we'll get this all cleaned up and then we can go to eternal state and then we'll be fine. Don't you want that? Let's get out there and hasten the day of God so that he comes back in his glory. There's a delay. And again, the delay is God is not wanting anyone to, to perish. Verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. From Adam and Eve, Adam the first prophet, all the way through the prophets, Enoch and Noah and then Abraham and then all the other prophets, Moses as he spoke and prophesied. God spoke the same message and now at, this sound of, at the sound of the seventh trumpet, there's no more mystery. It's all been revealed and it's going to all be accomplished. There's no more hidden truth. It's all out there in the open. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, and he said this, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel, and I said to him, Give me the little book. 
And he said to me, John says, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. All right. The, the last thing about judgment, it's bittersweet, isn't it? It's bittersweet. It's immediate, but, it, then it, but it's also bittersweet. It's sweet because we want God's enemies put down. It's bitter because we know they will perish in hell. And so when John eats the, the word of God, he eats the truth of the prophecies that are about to take place. As he ate them, it was sweet. He knew God is being vindicated. He is right, and he is going to live forever on the throne. Praise be to God. He's going to vanquish the enemy. He'll put down every rebel power, and he alone will get the honor and glory that he deserves. And that is sweet. But as it got into his stomach, it was bitter because John is thinking, there's family, friends, people that I know that are without Christ, and they will perish forever. Listen, unless you really grasp the reality of hell, you will never be a missionary. You will never be an evangelist in our area. You will never reach anybody in Hermantown ever unless you recognize the reality of hell, that people are dying and perishing. You'll never get moved out of your chair to go talk to somebody ever, ever, unless you realize they could end up in hell I need to declare the message to them. And so it's bittersweet, isn't it? For the believer, the word of God is absolutely sweet. For the unbeliever, it's bitter, because all it does is show condemnation and judgment, because they're guilty as sinners, and they haven't received the free gift. Quickly, I'm going to just tell you one more last. This is in 2 Corinthians 2. You don't have to go there, but in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, well, starting in verse 12 to verse 16, it's this. It's a picture of a Roman triumph. I, when I talked Second Corinthians years ago, I talked about the Roman triumph. Have you guys familiar? Are you remember it? Familiar with it? So, if you were a Roman emperor and you conquered another land, you would take the king and many of his choice servants, and you would parade them behind you in a procession, in a big parade through the streets of Rome. And you would have, of course, you would be in a chariot, and you would have a crown wearing on your head, and then you would have a servant right behind you, and the servant would be whispering in your ear, you are just a man, you are just a man, you are just a man, reminding the great emperor that you are just as susceptible to die and be brought into a procession like this as you are to be the king leading it. But all the prisoners that are condemned to death are behind the great king. Paul says, I have been captured by my Savior. He is the king, and I am his servant. I am his slave. He captured me, and he has bought me. I'm no longer the possession of the devil, but I now have a new master. And he, he by the way, as you were doing this triumphal procession, there would be um, incense that would be brought alongside you, and this aroma would penetrate the people on the streets. And they would smell it, and they would think, these people are condemned to death. It's an aroma that leads to death. All right? So can you picture all this? So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. He has bought me. He has won me. 
And I'm being led through the streets in procession. And I'm giving off an aroma, but for the believer, it's an aroma of life leading to life. So for you and I as believers who know Christ, the word of God is sweet, and we give off an aroma of life that's leading to eternal life. But our same fragrance when we go to the world... It stinks to the world. They don't love the message of Christ. For them, it is an aroma of death leading to death. Because they see in us, they see in us nothing that they want. And so it's dying for them that leads to an eternal death. So the same message produces two results. The same message for the church, they rejoice and they're happy about it. The world hates it and despises it and wants nothing to do with it. Which is why it's fun to talk about Jesus here, isn't it? Because it's an aroma of life leading to life, but it's hard out there because it's an aroma of death leading to death. We're telling people, if you don't accept Christ, you're dead and you're going to die and you will be separated from Christ forever. So it's a, you see what I'm saying? Here, it's a happy message. There, it's a message that's hard for them to accept. So it's this bittersweet message that we have. All right. And then, John, and then the angel said to John, you must prophesy, which tells me that the words in the book are words of prophecy, which will finish up the book of Revelation. Maybe it's the part that has the seven bowls. But he's going to prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. All right, here's my last word. Application. John, at the end of this interlude, this portion, was given a commission to go out and prophesy to to kings and nations and peoples. True? You and I have a similar commission. Where is our commission found? Matthew 28. Jesus said, I am sending you out. You've got to go out with the gospel and preach it to all nations, tongues, and peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Are we doing what we've been commanded to do? John was commanded to go and prophesy so they would hear the words of this text. We're being told, get out there and do the same thing. So we must be obedient to that commission. All right? And I'm as guilty as anybody. I mean, I'm striving to, but we, we need to be, that's our goal. That's our mission is go out and preach Christ to the nations. So my first application, are you fulfilling your commission? Are we as a church doing what we ought to do about the commission, reaching the last with the message of Christ. Secondly, um, the things of God, are they sweet to you? Are they sweet in your mouth? Do you love and treasure God's word? And then also, at the same time that it's sweet to you, are you sick to your stomach over the fact that men and women are dying and going to hell? Does it matter to you? Does it matter that people are, are perishing? That's a great question. And then third, um, I go back up to verse 7. As he declared um, these words about the mysteries of God to his servants, the prophets. We can trust God. Since the days of Adam and Eve, it's been the same exact message. We're lost. We need to be rescued. A rescuer is coming. His name is Jesus. So God is very consistent. He can be trusted with, with his work. And he's going to accomplish it with or without us. Let's pray that he uses us, right? So let's be used this week for his glory and honor. Father, thank you for this short interlude in chapter 10 as um, John sees this mighty angel 
and he is given a commission. He eats this book, and it's bitter, and it's sweet. Boy, we can relate to that. We love the Word of God. We love the fact that someday we'll be home with Jesus in heaven. But it's also bitter because we know that many reject your Word, and it, it breaks our heart. And we do not want to see anybody perish. We also know that you're delaying your return so we can reach more people with the gospel. So help us to be active doing that this year, and we pray that maybe this year would be the rapture, and then you would begin these seven years of tribulation. And then all of this would be wrapped up, and we will be in eternal glory with you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Thank you for our church. Protect our church in the midst of this spiritual warfare. Protect our families, moms and dads, and children. Just watch over them this week. Let everything be done to your honor and glory, Father that we would give no location to the devil. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here tonight. I really appreciate that. Next Sunday, we'll pick up chapter 11 and the two witnesses that we find. You are dismissed. Have a great evening, everyone. God bless you all.